Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your girl, Mitzi, and this is Mitzi. Let's think about it today. We are thinking about cult life. Let's be honest. This is something that is an intriguing topic because you never really meet somebody who has ever been in a cult. Luckily for me, I have a special guest on the show. Peter is one that has a lot of knowledge in this. So thank you so much, Peter, for coming on my show. How are you doing today? Missy, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. That's awesome. Awesome. So this cults have been very interesting to me. To be honest, I've always been in, like intrigued to know how someone can really be so manipulative that they would want to convince other individuals to believe in something to change that changes their whole entire life. I mean, for you, how how was it actually being in there? Well, that's the million-dollar question is why do these cult leaders do what they do, right? We yeah. can all kind of observe them and, you know, they check the boxes of, you know, what a typical cult leader is. I don't know why our particular cult leader uh, did what he did. We called him Uncle Robert. He wasn't related to any of us. And I married into it. So I don't think anybody purposely joins a cult. I think they have no idea they're in a cult until they get out of it. But for me, I married the love of my life about 25 years ago, and I knew she had this really weird family guru. I'd heard about him called Uncle Robert. And uh, then when I met him before we got engaged, because I needed to meet him, because I knew he'd be a part of my life if I married Paige, uh, you know, he's charismatic and interesting, but I thought, no, harmless, which I was wrong. I was blinded by love. You know, I was in love. So we got married and then, you know, slowly but surely I was the proverbial frog in the pot of boiling water and he just slowly took over our lives. Wow. And I guess my thing is, how did you know something wasn't right? Where you were like, you know what? This is something that's like a red flag or a light bulb. Like when, when was that moment for you? Well, I had several of those. So I remember even with all the crazy stuff that went on and I could tell you some crazy stories I was still resistant to the idea that this was a cult because I was very skeptical of him, just downright didn't like him for a long time, was probably brainwashed for about three years, took a very long time for me to get there. But early on, like even before I met Paige, I had seen her around town. We were living in Pocatello, Idaho, hadn't met her, didn't even know her name. And I'm at the gym working out with this guy and we're lifting weights. And I start describing this beautiful, tall woman, you know, six foot one, blonde hair. You couldn't miss her. And he's like, oh, I know who that is. You know, that's Paige and her sister. And oh, be careful, they've got this really weird family guru. And so I knew about the weird family guru before I met her. And then wow. sure enough, you know, in talking with her, she would describe him or talk about him in ways that I'd never heard anybody talk about anybody else. So I knew it was odd, knew there was something not right there. But I certainly didn't think it was a cult. I thought, well, this is odd, weird behavior, but I still love this woman. I can, I can get by. Many years later down the road, I'm like, wow, it's gotten really bad. So to directly answer your question, there was one woman. We'd been married for about four years. And at this point, you know, we lived in Idaho. He lived in Southern California, Uncle Robert, who again, like I'm six foot five. You can't tell. My wife was six foot one, you know, typical Northern European look. She had blonde hair, blue eyes. Uncle Robert, born and raised in Syria, you know, his short, kind of fat, bulbous nose, olive complexion, jet black hair, bald. So he didn't look anything like us. But, um, you know, she would talk to him on the phone all the time. And, and looking back, I realized how much of an influence he had on her. I didn't know yeah. it at the time. But it was about a year after 9-11. 
you know, we all remember where we were on 9-11. I had high school classmates who were in the buildings, the Twin Towers that day. I had a high school classmate who was widowed that day. So about a year later, he starts talking about how 80,000 people died on 9-11. I thought, I always thought it was like 3,000. And then he starts talking about how President Roosevelt was a Jew and Truman was a Jew. And it was my first exposure to his raving anti-Semitism. And I had no idea. And I remember thinking like that night, like this guy's dangerous. I was quite frankly unnerved by him, what he was saying. And I remember telling Paige, my former wife, I don't think this guy is who he thinks, who you think he is. I think he's dangerous. We shouldn't have anything to do with him. She was very concerned. She listened to what I said, but nothing ever came of it because <laughs> she and her parents who were all in believed everything he said. And I was the only one who would question. And you're not supposed to question the cult leader. Yeah. I, I can see that. And I and I like the fact that you basically were able to tell your story, you know, how you like came in not expecting it to be a cult, because let's be honest, nobody really has that in their mind when they're meeting a family and they're meeting someone that they're really in, in love with at the moment. And, you know, like you just accept things as is, you know, so that's basically what you were doing. You were just accepting things as is. If somebody has a wacky cousin, OK, you're the wacky cousin, you know, it is what it is. But I think it's nice the fact that you were able to put facts along with it, because that's one thing that I hear a lot is the fact that when you go into these cults, you realize that you're in a cult or it's time to get out of it. Once you start, once they start putting opinion and trying to force it as a fact, when you know the fact that, OK, 80,000 people didn't die on 9-11, you know what I mean? That was a, like, OK, that that makes sense. But uh, I guess. I know you. I know you. You wrote about, and I was reading online, and it's amazing to me that you were able to find faith in God after all of this. And it's. And I'm curious. I mean, how hard was it to believe in God after this guy was trying to force you to believe in Him? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people have said, you know, after the fact, after I've recovered and and you know, kind of been out of it, and and the Lord really opened my eyes and ears, and they'd say, well, it's great that you didn't reject your faith. To which I would say, well, I, I wouldn't be here without my faith. So I was born and raised a Christian, accepted the Lord as a teenager, certainly was not perfect. That's why I needed a savior. <laughs> but what cult leaders will often do, which is exactly what Uncle Robert did, is they'll try and act as a gatekeeper to God. Whatever faith you believe in, they'll try and act as a gatekeeper. Now, the Christian faith yeah. is pretty clear on this. We don't need anybody. You know, We don't need to go through a guru or a priest or whomever. We can have a direct relationship with Christ. But with him, with Uncle Robert, and we had a very small cult, very small, maybe 12 people, 15, whatever, just a few adults, some kids. But every adult there, you know, he basically changed their testimony, how we came to know the Lord, right? Because we all would have had faith in Christ before he would have had us doubt ourselves, had us doubt our faith. Oh, you're not a Christian. You're a fraud. You're a demon. And then we would believe him because we'd get beaten down, eroded, worn out. And I would just be done trying to fight it. And then we would say, oh, yeah, he must be right. So then we would go through this process of being saved by Uncle Robert. He didn't think of himself as God, but still, you know, he is this conduit to God, that he has this direct line that nobody else could be saved without him, which is unbiblical, it's untrue, and it's frankly wicked. That's probably the most wicked part of his theology. Yeah, I like the way that you use that word wicked, because it's true. I mean, to try to determine 
who who can speak to God when in reality like anyone can speak to God that's the beauty of God you know that's the beauty of having that 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 open communication is like there's really no obstacle course to speak to God you know what I mean I think people make it more complicated than what it has to be when it comes to having a relationship with God you know and and I think I think I love the fact that you're just being honest right now you know what I mean and you're just spirating your heart out and I and I'm really curious to know what is one of those stories if you don't mind what was those what was one of those stories that in that in that moment being in a cult that was just like oh should I keep going you know what I mean like yeah so I you know what I always tell people is I went along to get along right like there were certainly a lot of signs like that story about 9-11 the Jews there were all kinds of stories like that and I would ask a lot of questions but I also tell people cult leaders don't lure you in by spouting utter nonsense and falsehoods. They start with the truth and then they spin it and twist it and give it their interpretation until years later, it looks anything like it. So the analogy I give would be if you miss hit a golf ball, right? Missy about like this much. Well, hundred yards down the fairway, it's way after the left or way after the right. It's nowhere near the pin. Well, Uncle Robert would read to us from the Bible, right? He would tee up the right golf ball, so to speak. But then he, each verse, he would give it his little spin. So five, 10 years down the road, we're way off base. So again, I went along to get along. I knew at times this wasn't right, but I was trying to save my marriage, save my family. But when my wife at the time, Paige, left me in 2017, so we've been married almost 20 years. And I was all in at this point. I was still thinking like, it's my fault she left. She's right. Uncle Robert's right. I'm awful. I'm the devil, whatever they were calling me. But when this happened, Mitzi, I knew this was wrong. So what cult leaders will often do is that everybody in the cult, whether it's like grandparents, parents, and kids, all kind of level out to like their kids. And the cult leader is the dad. He's the dad of everybody. So that I could be in the cult with my children and my in-laws, but we're all calling Uncle Robert dad. Or we look to him like he's the father. In other words, he's control of everybody. So we've all been like put down and beaten down and made fun of and mocked and impugned to the point where we're all little children, even though I'm in my 40s, my in-laws are in their 60s, right? So we're all little kids. So then when my wife left me, Uncle Robert and she started to engage in what's called parental alienation and telling our children, we had five kids, that your dad is just a sperm donor. He's just a bloodline. He's not your true father. And so therefore, what was going to happen next the kid's true father would be Uncle Robert. So they would start calling him Grandpa Bob. Or my, my father-in-law, who was in his 70s, would call him Dad. Then I knew. And by this time, I'd already been kind of kicked out because she left me. But then I knew that was really wicked and wrong. Well, most definitely. And um, do you have hope, you know, that one day that your children might come to that realization on their own and hopefully find you because five kids, that's a lot, you know, that's a lot to, to feel separated from, you know, after, after going through that. Yeah, it's horrible. It's uh, cults are emotionally and mentally abusive and spiritually abusive to children. It's not just my point of view. Um, and that's why I wrote my book, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. So I had written this during COVID. I just, some people, you know, binge to watch Netflix or whatever. I wrote like four or five hours a day and I couldn't type fast enough to get this out of me. It was very cathartic and therapeutic, sat on it for about a year or two. And then last fall, I decided I needed to get this out there. So mm -hmm. one of my children has already read it. Uh, the other one's going to start reading it soon. 
it's still a work in progress. Again, five kids, two of them, uh, it's very strained right now. To the younger ones, it's much better. There's another one kind of in the middle. And, and it's, yeah. you know, it doesn't go away right away. It's it's scarring on the kids what they went through. Yeah, They're very strong and they're very resilient, but they're all in different stages, let's say, of recovery as well as their relationship with me. That's that's good. At least you have an open heart and at least your children at least read the book. And I'm assuming that the book, if you don't mind me asking or if you don't mind telling me more, but because what um, it seems like it's basically your experience and your awakening. Is that right? Yeah. So it's a memoir. It's called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And uh, I change a few of the first names just to add a, another layer of privacy. But otherwise, it is I stand by every word. Uh, it's all factual. In fact, I remember talking with one of my attorneys and they thought, well, you know, why don't you just turn it into a novel and fictionalize it? And I told him no one would believe it. And it's true. You would not believe this if you didn't know it was the truth. And so after all that I went through and I was really beaten down, really went through a tough 2017 when Paige left me, the kids were taught I was the devil. I was a sperm donor, a bloodline, a liar, Satan, sorcerer, you name it. Uh, it was really hard and nobody knew because I tried to keep it all quiet. That's how cults control their members. They uh, isolate you, control you through secrecy and paranoia. So my extended family, my brothers, their wives, my parents are still alive. Nobody knew what was going on. I finally started opening up to them and they instantly rallied around me and supported me and helped me through it. But it was really the Lord who opened my eyes and ears. And so while at times the book is pretty intense and it's a hard read, there is a very strong redemptive story in the end that the Lord rescued me. He rescued me from a little cult. And why did you choose that title? Because that's an interesting title to choose. You know, it's it has a it's strong, you know, but it's it makes people curious. Like, what do you mean? I mean, if you don't mind, what, what do you mean by that? I mean, why choose that title? So another great question. And to me, it's an absolutely fascinating story. So, you know, in the Bible, there's all kinds of stories about God speaking to people through dreams, right? You know, when, yes. when Joseph and Mary have the, the child Jesus in a dream, Joseph's warned, hey, you better leave. The child's going to be in danger. So they go, okay, there's all kinds of those. So does the Lord still speak to us in dreams? I don't know. Maybe he's God. He can do what he wants, right? Yeah. So right before I met Paige, she had this really powerful dream. So important to her. It was life altering. And she wrote about it years later, talked about it all the time. In the dream, she's in a house with a boyfriend at the time named Chad, and there's the tiger roaming loose. And if the tiger found her, it was going to kill her. So she needed to be wary of the tiger, but she didn't want to kill the tiger because the tiger represented strength and honor and discipline and respect, things that she respected. So she only wanted to control the tiger. The door opens, in walks a tall man, but she can't see the face of the tall man. And she hides, the boyfriend hides and disappears. And she knows that the man is there to kill the tiger. So she's afraid for the tiger. So she has this dream. She writes about it to Uncle Robert. And he writes back this crazy 23-page long letter where he interprets the dream to mean that since Paige didn't want to kill the tiger, she was not really a Christian. The tiger was her mind, her ego, the sinful Paige that was still running her life. And the tall man was there to help rescue and save her. And oh, by the way, Uncle Robert's five foot six <laughs> and had a face that Paige knew well. Well, 20 years later, I finally realized. So then, you know, I meet Paige like a week later. About a month later after we start dating, she has me read this letter. It's so important to her. And I read it and it was pretty bizarre to me. It was my first introduction to Uncle Robert. 
Well, shortly thereafter, Paige is convinced Uncle Robert's right. I must not be a Christian. Even though she'd been baptized, we met at a single Bible study. So then she allows Uncle Robert to save her, which of course then happened to everybody in our cult eventually, right? 20 years later, it's so obvious to me that the Lord gave her this dream as a warning. She couldn't see the face of the tall man because she hadn't met me yet. And the boyfriend in the dream who disappears, I met Paige at a singles Bible study. And she showed up with this guy, Chad. After she met me, we never saw him again, ever. Haven't seen him since. So it's obvious that the tiger was Uncle Robert. Yeah. 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 And it took me years to finally figure it out. And, and it's just so obvious to me now that that was a warning that the Lord was giving her. Hey, listen, this guy that you revere and trust is not who you think he is. Yeah. But Uncle Robert turned it on its head and was able to crush whatever independence that Paige was going to start having so that she would have to rely on him. Wow. Anyway, there's more to it, but that's where the story comes from. That's where the title comes from. And it is fascinating for me to finally, you know, after she left me 20 years of marriage, I love this woman. She was the love of my life. And finally, then I, I found the original 23 page letter, 20 some odd years after he wrote it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And it, and it hit me. And the Lord showed me, this is what I meant. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Amazing. Isn't it amazing how literally God prepares the way? You know what I mean? God prepares the way and he literally just had everything already laid out. And it all it comes down to was time and free will. Let's be honest. Because she has the free will to change her mind from seeing that tiger as something as a victim, even though she knew that tiger was going to eat her. You know what I mean? Like her perspective of the tiger caused her actions and her choices to be where they are today. And it's sad because our perspective can truly determine the direction of our lives and the outlook of our lives and, and where it ends up going. And it's, it's, it's so interesting to me, to be honest. I'm just over here just thinking about so many things because that that title has really great meaning. And especially when you told me the dream and it was just like, oh, well, that makes sense. That yeah. makes perfect sense. And then the, you put, I mean, did you put the uh, 23 page letter in your book? I didn't put the whole uh, 23 pages in the book, although I do have a lot of excerpts from that and also lots of emails and letters from Paige and Uncle Robert, because Let's be honest, you know, I'm not the first person to be heartbroken and go through a divorce. It happens a lot. I never thought it would happen to me. I truly loved the woman. There was no kind of physical or sexual abuse whatsoever. It was none of that. It was totally faithful. We both were. Um, but it can often come down to a, a he said, she said kind of a thing, you know, and I'm sure judges and lawyers roll their eyes. They see it all the time. But all of this is in writing because Paige and Uncle Robert were so convinced in their superiority. They were so self-righteous and arrogant that Uncle Robert knew the truth. He cornered it, only he knew the true gospel. And we were special because we had him, that she would write these letters and emails. And so would he, and would lay it all out. So I've got, you know, pages and pages of this that prove it. It's not just me saying this. It's not just me, an angry guy who's bitter, who I'm not. I'm not at all. I have it all in writing to prove. This is exactly what they thought. It was exactly what they were thinking. This is exactly what she was teaching. Wow, that's really amazing. I, I appreciate you coming on my show and sharing your story and sharing your perspective on this because yeah. I think 
people when they when they hear that somebody was been in the cult they automatically label them as a wackadoo or someone they that's not mentally stable but in reality it doesn't always happen like that you know and and i like the fact that how you stated earlier like they break them down or sometimes you just you just brush things over and you just let things go and then all of a sudden it's like oh so this is what's happening like this is the reality of the situation and i think people should have more compassion to individuals like yourself because it's not fair for people to be labeled a wackadoo or something absurd when in reality I mean you were just living I mean you were following love you were following your heart you know you were innocent in the in everything you know and I love the fact that God was God was still guiding you through the whole entire process and you devoted yourself to serving the Lord and writing this book because man, to write out your experiences, not only is it your testimony, you are helping somebody realize the truth of their own situation because faults are now uprising all the time, you know, and people are looking for salvation and looking for like that mentor in a human body but the problem is is I think that we confuse someone helping us with and giving us good teachings and giving us good words and we're replacing them to like you said earlier the gatekeeper you know and it's it's an easy it's an easy slip well so to, to piggyback on what you just eloquently said there's two points I want to make number one is that um Cults come in all different shapes and sizes, right? We often think of, you know, Jim Jones and Jonestown, Waco, yeah. David Koresh, Heaven's Gate and all this, okay. But they come in all different shapes and sizes. And there are many very small cults of which we were one. But all cults have at their foundation, at their core, it's undue mind control, right? So it's manipulative, coercive mind control, whatever else it looks like. Because we didn't look like a cult. We didn't live in a commune. We weren't having sex with everybody. We weren't shaving our heads, banging a drum, whatever, right? But it's yeah. undue mind control. And number two would be, um, there are a lot of mini cults. I think, again, when people think of cults, they think of large groups. But many cults are very small, just like ours, and they can easily hide in society. So you don't know they're there. And again, cult members are controlled through paranoia, secrecy, and isolation. So if you, Mitzi, or somebody listening, has a friend or a relative that you know, all of a sudden it's kind of broken off contact. They don't go to Bible study with you. They don't meet with coffee once a week. They don't go to the bowling league, rotary, whatever it is, right? The knitting club, right? And yeah. they've broken off all these contacts. And now they also have all kinds of praise for this one person and they denigrate everybody else. Okay, that doesn't mean you're in a cult, but those are red flags. And so reach out, have those difficult conversations. Hey, are you okay? Hey, I haven't seen you lately. What's going on in your life? Really dig deep and be a good friend because they will probably not say anything to you. They will probably not reach out. They're probably terrified. Reach out to them. Don't let your friends become isolated because when we're isolated, that's when we're susceptible to a false teacher. Thank you for that. Thank you for those wise words of wisdom because we do need that explanation and we do need that reality check that you know, reaching out to a friend that you know that has a custom routine and all of a sudden it's no longer their routine. I mean, that is that is a red flag, you know? And we need to not think about, oh, they're just dealing with something because 
you know, in reality, when we all are dealing with something privately, we still like to know that someone is thinking of us, you yep. know, and that's, and that's nice that you shared that. And if anybody's interested in knowing more about Peter and, 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 and his book that he has written, and I, he, I have his website on my website. So if you're already here, just go check it out, go click on under his picture and it's a direct link and you can find more great information. And if you want to just reach out to him directly, he, you can most definitely do so. This has been such a great conversation, Peter. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your authenticity. You know, this is, these are the type of conversations that I love that truly make me think you know, think about people and what they go through in such a different way. It's so kind. And do you have any other last words that you'd like to share with the audience before we officially end the show? Not really. I think we covered a lot of ground. I would yeah. love it if people would read my book. Again, it's on Amazon. It's called Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. I love the title of your podcast, Trust me, you read my book and it will make you think. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I know, now I'm intrigued. I'm going to have to end up buying, one, uh, buying the book because it may, it's already making me think. I want to know more and I love that. I love people who write books like this and who has experience in lives and they make us think because it makes us reflect. Because once you start thinking, you start reflecting, you start putting things together that you need to, to do and to do differently and to go forward. So, Ladies and gentlemen, go check him out. It's going to be an awesome, awesome read because I'm I'm already enticed to want to read it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Y'all take care. Always, always, always keep thinking, y'all. Bye.